Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the hallmarks of the Reformation is sola scriptura, scripture alone. The Word of God is our source of truth. And we're going to be digging into the Word. We've been doing that for the past six weeks in our Fearless Faith, Radical Trust, a sermon series, life group series. And uh, I know the last two weeks we had some kids in here. It was a little lighter. It was a little, a little fluffier. But we're going deep down this morning into the book of Esther. And so it may require a little more extra attention as we dig deep into the Word this morning. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed this uh, sermon series, this live group series, as we get to look at um, believers from thousands of years ago struggling and wrestling with the very same things that we do today, learning about what does it mean to trust in God and to have faith in Him. And as I was thinking about um, our topic for this morning, um, our Old Testament character, I was sort of wondering about my own life and also wondering about this question. And I wonder if you've wondered about it too. Have you ever wondered if it's possible to turn a day of sorrow into a day of joy? To turn a day of mourning into a day of celebration? To take something in your life that causes you grief or is painful or hurtful, whether it's a day or a season or event, is it possible to turn that into something good, something joyous, something filled with celebration? You may have heard me tell this story before, but I think I needed to do it again. Many years ago, I received a call to serve as a pastor up at a little church just up the road in Los Angeles County. I was installed there, I was ordained as a pastor there, and it was on an October 7th. It was an awesome day. Lots of friends were there, uh, lots of pastors praying over me. Pastor Tim was there. Huge day in my life. I still remember it. Remember the conversations I had. I remember the worship. I remember the party afterwards. I remember talking with people. I remember the way that even the sun was setting over that little tiny church up in Los Angeles County. It was a big day for me and my family's life. I went home filled with peace and joy, and I fell into a good, deep sleep. Until the phone rang about midnight. Woke me up. It was my brother. My brother said to me, Mike, you've got to get down here right now. I jumped in my car. I immediately drove from Los Angeles down to San Diego. And to make a very long story short, my dad died the next day, October 8th. October 8th. It was a day of sorrow for me. It was a day of mourning. It was draining. It was taxing. It was grief. It was wondering. It was questions, sadness, confusion. It was a numbing day and time. And we spent a week or two having a funeral and taking care of everything. And then I went back to work. Started my new call, brand new pastor, starting my new job. Never done a funeral in my entire life before. My vicarage, my internship, no one died, so I didn't know how to do it. And immediately, right after my dad's funeral, right in my new job, my new pastorate, a disproportionate number of people started dying at my little church. And I had funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral until finally, in the middle of one of the funerals, I broke down. In the middle of a sermon, overwhelmed by my own grief and the compounding grief of all the deaths in my new church family, it was a hard time. And if I'm honest with you this morning, I was like, God, what are you doing here? And there were days I just wanted to give up and quit that job. And so October 8th, it became a day of sorrow for me. 
a day of mourning for me. And as it would come around, it sort of ratcheted up a bunch of negative, hard stuff for that period of time I went through. And I wondered, God, why do you have me going through all this? Why, God? It was a why God season for my life. Anybody ever been in a why God season before? I think we all have. I wondered, would October 8th always be a day of sorrow and mourning for me every year? Sort of, and this sort of story reminds me actually of Esther. Esther had a similar thing going on in her life, but it was much deeper, far more serious than my own experience. It was of epic proportions. It was a why God season, not only for Esther, but for the entire Jewish people throughout the world 2,400 years ago. Every single one of them scattered throughout the world, the empire at the time. They were about to experience a huge day of sorrow and mourning. Persia was the world empire at the time, and the Jewish people had been exiled from Jerusalem and Judah, and they had been resettled throughout the Persian empire. And Esther and her uncle Mordecai, her uncle Mordecai was her adopted dad because her parents had died. They are at the center of this story. This epic drama in many ways. And the story sort of goes like this. King Xerxes, he's the ruler of Persia. He was in search of a new queen. And Esther, because she was so beautiful, she was picked to be one of a group of many girls who would be, maybe considered to be the next queen. They would be prepared. They would be prepped to come before the king, and maybe he would select one of them. And so she was placed in a harem. I mean, essentially today we would call it human trafficking. Her uncle Mordecai told her when she left, she said, don't tell them that you're Jewish. Don't tell them that you're related to me. The Jewish people were discriminated. They were an exiled people. And so Esther and the others, the other girls, they went through this year-long preparation before they would even see the king. And it actually was kind of a terrible existence. She was disconnected from her family completely thrust into this world of affluence and power and politics and violence and basically trafficking of human beings, and fear abounded with these girls because of, because of what happened to the previous queen. They would be always living under fear of what happened to her. She had been banished because she had asserted herself against the king, the king who was acting abusively and barbarically on a drinking binge. She stood up for herself, and she was banished. It was a corrupt, morally corrupt time in Persia. The oppression of women abounded. Ultimately, Esther was chosen to be brought before the king. It was her turn. And the king selected her to be the queen. She continued to keep her ethnic identity quiet. She didn't tell them who she was related to. Now, you've got to remember, being a queen in Persia was different than being the queen of England, Right? She would always be under the authority of the king. And there were times she would go 30 days without even seeing him. She didn't have the right to even approach him. And then in the midst of all of this, in the political world at the time, there was an evil man rising up to power. His name was Haman, and we might as well call him today Hitler. He rose to power under King Xerxes. And this guy Haman hated Mordecai. Esther's uncle, her adopted dad, a Jew. Haman hated Mordecai because Mordecai refused to bow down 
to Haman. He would only bow down to God. And so Haman hated Mordecai. He plotted to not only destroy Mordecai, but also to destroy the entire Jewish people throughout the Persian Empire from India to Ethiopia. He tricked the king. He deceived the king and basically issued an edict and a decree that would call for the genocide of all of the Jewish people. Verse 3 of chapter 13 says this. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on one single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. And not only that, to plunder their goods. An epic day of sorrow and mourning. Genocide was on the calendar An entire ethnic group was about to be wiped out. And when you read that, you you, how could something so evil happen? And then you think, oh, Germany, Hitler, the recent shooting of the synagogue. The Jewish people 2,400 years ago, they were mourning as many are mourning today. They were grieving. They were distressed at the evil about to be placed upon them as an entire ethnic group. And so Mordecai sends word to his daughter, his niece. He sends word to Esther and she says, you've got to do something. Esther wrote back to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman, that included the queen, any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death. Unless the king extends his gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But Esther's like, 30 days have passed since I was even called to go to the king. And after what happened to the last queen being banished because she asserted herself, you could see how Esther would be worried for her own life. Mordecai wrote back to her and said, if you remain silent at this time, You and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I just love that phrase, for such a time as this. Have you ever had a time in your life when you were like, wow, all that stuff I went through, all those circumstances, all that experience, all that hard time, all of that suffering, all of it comes together at one point in time, and everything you wondered why about becomes clear. Maybe everything that had happened to Esther was for that very moment, for such a time as this. Verse 15 of chapter 4, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, that's the city, and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I'm going to go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. I mean, you've got to love the courage of Esther. She's willing to risk her life for her family, for her people, for her God, for the Jewish people throughout the Persian Empire, for the future of her people, the people from whom Jesus the Messiah is born. I mean, when you look at the big meta narrative of that, it's just amazing. And since the king showed a track record for recklessly abusing his queen's When she said, I will approach him, and if I die, I die, she was demonstrating, my friends, a radical trust in God. 
All right, I'm going to interrupt this sermon for a Reformation interlude, okay? I never thought that I would compare Martin Luther to Esther, right? But the stories are similar. I mean, this is Reformation Sunday. It's the day we celebrate Martin Luther standing up against the corruptions of the church 500 plus years ago. Esther, she resolved to stand up for what is right for God and for his people, for the truth, no matter what would cost her even her life. That very thing Martin Luther did. First, he did it when he nailed the 95 Theses on the church door, October 31st, 1517, in order to combat the selling of indulgences. Indulgences were basically extorting God's people to pay money for them to get into heaven. Luther stood up to the bullies in the church, and he stood up for the word of God. And he stood up for the teaching of faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, that there is nothing that we can do to earn our way or buy our way to God. His grace is free. And he was asked to recant those teachings. And he stood up, and you may have seen the movie, Here I Stand, I Can Do No Other. And because he did that, an assassination plot was put upon his life. He was taken away and hid in the castle so they wouldn't kill him. The Protestant Reformation began because he stood up for God, for God's people, and for the truth. And my friends, that's what Esther did. But she did it on an even more epic and dangerous playing field than Luther. She stood up for the entire people of God who were about to be destroyed in an evil and horrific day of genocide, a huge day of sorrow and mourning that it was looming on the horizon. And this young woman approached the king, standing up for the truth, for God, for his people, for her people. For such a time as this, she went before the king, and he extended the scepter, and she lived. you got to read more. The story is more complex. It's pretty awesome. But basically, the king asked. Eventually, said, Queen Esther, what's your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty... And if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold. Sold to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he, where is he, the man who was dared to do such a thing? Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman, he was in the room. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Read the rest of it. It's amazing. <laughs> See what I'm getting at? Sold the scripture. Get in the word this week, people. Long story short. Haman was prosecuted, Haman was executed, and Mordecai took his place and became the right hand to the king of Persia. And the king said to Mordecai, he said, now this, write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews as seems best to you. Seal it with the king's signet ring. No document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. And he issued a new edict to counterbalance the previous one of genocide throughout the world in the month of Adar. And the Jewish people throughout the Persian Empire 
throughout the world. They were rescued. They were saved. They were spared. They were honored. They were empowered. They were redeemed. And Mordecai writes at the end of Esther, he says, Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jewish people throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far to have them celebrate annually the 14th and the 15th days of the month of Adar as the time, the time, when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and I love this, and gifts to the poor. And if you've ever wondered, is it possible to turn a day of sorrow into joy, a day of mourning into celebration, a time or a season or a thing that's wrong in your life into something that is right Esther tells this story. Esther is yelling at us from 2,400 years ago. He's saying, she's saying to us this morning, it is possible. And what I love about the book of Esther is that God is never explicitly mentioned in the entire book. He's not overtly seen or mentioned in that book at all, but implicitly. He's orchestrating all of the events when it looks like he's absent. And the people are crying out, why God? You realize he's there and he's working. God used unfortunate circumstances of a young orphaned Jewish girl to save the entire Jewish people. A people from whom Jesus Christ is born. And when you look at that, you just get caught up in the mysterious way of God and his work in the world. That our God, yes, can work through any situation. My first year here at St. John's, it started in the month of August, and a couple of months later, October was coming. October 8th was approaching. The day that ushered in a season of grieving and mourning and basically pain for me. And I wondered ever if God could turn that day of sorrow and mourning into a day of joy. Could that day and season of my life be redeemed? I received an emergency phone call uh, on October 8th, my first October 8th here at St. John's. It was a Friday, I remember. I was driving with my family in our minivan. Someone said, you've got to come down to Chalk. I remember the day like it was yesterday. Twins had been born, preemies, a boy and a girl, both of them struggling to live, especially the boy. And that very night, the same night that my dad had died years before, I and their parents, we baptized those two beautiful children. And we brought life-giving water to them. The grace of God washed over them powerfully. And on that very day, October 8th, I entered into months and years of ministry to this family. The girl, Maddie, she began to thrive and heal her body. And we rejoiced in that. And their dad actually was baptized a couple months later. And their parents, a couple months later, confirmed their faith in Jesus and joined the family of faith here at St. John's. But their boy, Ethan, was suffering physically, struggling to live. Day by day, he was drawing closer to his heavenly father until it was finally decided 
that we needed to take him off of life support and commend him to his heavenly father's arms. It was two months after we had baptized him. December 11th was the day the family asked me to come and be there as he was taken off of life support. And I remember, I remember walking up to Chalk. I remember that day for the rest of my life and thinking about October 8th and the months of grieving and all those funerals I had led after my dad's that God was using all of that pain and all of that grief and all of that suffering in my life to prepare me for that very moment for such a time as this, to be with that family, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into one of the hardest situations that anyone could endure. And I remember walking into Chalk, and I found this weird, deep-seated, redemptive joy, knowing that I could use my own pain and grief to love this family. And I walked in, and I knew exactly what to do. I knew exactly what to say. I knew exactly how to pray. I knew exactly how to lead those 30 people gathered around as we said goodbye to little Ethan. And it was an Esther moment. It was for such a time as moment as this. And it all made sense. All of that made sense in the past in that very moment. I have a feeling we all have stories like that in this room. I hope that my story and Martin Luther's story, but most importantly, Esther's story, will speak deep to our hearts today. That God can redeem any sorrow, any grief, any pain, any wrongdoing, any history in our lives. And not only redeem it, not only can he redeem it, but he can use it to do an awesome and great and powerful work in your life, through your life, to further the mission of his grace and his mercy in his son, Jesus Christ, who died for you and for every human being on the planet Earth. That's an awesome story. It's our story. It's your story. It's my story. It's our history. It's our present. It's our past. It's our future And that sort of faith and that sort of trust in a God who works that way, my friends, is truly radical. And he's inviting us into it once again to receive him anew.